a podcast of the cinema. Um, I'm Alonzo Duraldi. You're Dave White. Yes. We are film critics for The Wrap. That's correct. I host other podcasts. You do. And uh, we're married. That's the final straw. <laughs> I mean, the final piece of information. Yes. <laughs> when when will the, the people fixing the building be done? Will they I ever be know. done? I... You, I, I know that no one listening can hear, or maybe you can. Maybe you can. Like maybe <laughs> it's there's an immense amount of machine noise. Yeah, we don't even know what these machines are doing we, at the time. We haven't looked. This it's it's the morning, and we haven't been outside to look at what the machine noise is about, or what it's repairing. There's just so much of it. Fixing, reconstructing, renovating. We don't know. There are apartment. There are dudes painting the entire apartment building, the out the exterior. Mm-hmm. There is a team of people doing some kind of construction work in apartment one underneath us. Mm, yes. Um, I don't know if that means people have moved out. If other people are moving in, I. Who can say? I hope not, because I just don't. Listen, as, as Kylie Minogue brilliantly new, pointed out, <laughs> it's better the devil you know. New neighbors are always a roll, roll of the dice, and it can be someone that turns out to be great, or it can be or people, not, or it can be people selling meth, which is we've experienced both of yes. those things. Um, the full panoply. You know what's going to happen though in a couple of weeks? What? Go we're to the balcony. Gonna, <laughs> we're going to have to figure out a way to do our work, do this recording work. Uh-huh. Around the reconstruction of our balcony. Right. I don't know how we're going to. I mean, there's just going to be background noise. I probably. There's just going to be people yeah. out there scraping and drilling and doing stuff. Mm. As a listener once said, never apologize for audio I'm on not, a podcast. I'm not apologizing. I'm just thinking, what's it? What? What about me? <laughs> what's that what, going to be? What like? is? What? How? How is this going to affect me? <laughs> You'll get by. Will I? You'll manage. You always do. I, I'll try. Um. How? How does? I'm first of all. The next topic is that I'm envious of your English muffin. Oh well. Um, you had English muffins for breakfast. Yes. They're not really something I can have right now. Does Ezekiel make an English muffin? They do, but I don't want to try it. <laughs> like it would feel like a mockery. I know that I like the Ezekiel bread. Yes, I genuinely like Ezekiel bread. You do, um, and I have to keep saying that every time I mention it because people, if they've tasted it, nine times out of ten, they come and they say something, something like, "It is like eating a." a piece of slate from a roof. Like, they are not into it. <laughs> You've made it work for you, and that's what matters. That is correct. Um, but, you know, if I'm going to have a mu- an English muffin, in the, you know, a nice toasted English muffin, mm-hmm. I want it to be the kind that are, you know, light and fluffy and made with white flour. <laughs> but you didn't put it in the toaster. It would have been easier had you put it in the toaster well, sure. this morning, but you chose instead... To use the toasting mechanism on our new Kelly Clarkson themed oven. Yes. 
our June smart oven. Catching was... up on anybody who hasn't been paying attention to the endless discussions we've been having about this. Alonzo was in the audience of the, <laughs> the Kelly Clarkson show at Christmas time, and Kelly was giving away things, and she gave away a June smart oven. So we have now a free June smart oven sitting on our counter, taking up all the space. I've cooked things in it already. If you want to know more about that, you can go listen to Linoleum Knife and Fork via our Patreon. Our Patreon. Um, but the uh, you you toasted your English muffins in it this morning. Yes, because the new the new gadget the new gadget needs to be tested out. Yes, and you know I look. Yes, could I have made them in the toaster? Sure. Could I have made two English muffins at a time in our toaster? No, we have a two slice toaster. Oh. oh. Could I have? Oh. Could I have watched? You actually had more than one English muffin. Yes. Could I have watched? Now I'm extremely envious because <laughs> that is the the height of luxury. Four different little slices to to absorb. You could you, listen. On one English muffin, you can soak in so much butter you wouldn't believe it. It's true. And I've done it, <laughs> and I. Four of them, you could soak up a whole stick of butter. Well, I didn't go that far. Well, you could go that far, um, and but, you'd be happy, you know. But yeah, in the smart oven, you get to watch them toast. It was very exciting. I took a I, I took a screenshot of the camera <laughs> inside the oven watching them toast, oh, yeah. and I sent By it. By the you. way, this thing's got a camera inside of it, and you use it with a phone app, and you can watch it cooking on your phone app. Yeah, it's insane. It's the future. Dave. I guess we're keeping it. I think we are. I mean, it cooked the chicken breasts really well, so. And it's good. Uh, as Margie said. Margie Rockland. She uh, she said, you know what? At Christmas and Thanksgiving yes, and Easter. happy to have an extra. Anytime you've got a, like, looking to the future where we actually have other human beings in our apartment mm-hmm. again. Yes, that um, will come. It did. Listen, if it doesn't come, I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to take someone's life and I do, I do, I can't guarantee it won't be you that, that's <laughs> so, fair the, um, that it would never be you it would be a random stranger okay I would become a homicidal maniac of the 80s slasher variety okay that's what yeah alright yeah glad you're laying this all out now so there's evidence later <laughs> when your killing spree begins <laughs> I um we have people over the holidays. I'm gonna have. We'll have I'm gonna have a other. second. Yeah, all the times I've mocked people on reality television or in films, characters in films, where the set people have said, "Let's give them two ovens." Yes. And I always think, "Oh, two ovens. How do you? How do? You, what kind of life is that to have two ovens? The good kind." And now I know that it's going to be a good life also, forever. Also, we don't have to it, have... This, this June oven is going to keep me from the killing spree. Yes, and we don't have to have <laughs> oven season anymore. We could actually right. bake things in the summer and not die of heat. I know this, we got this for free, but does June oven want to advertise on this show? They ought to. We're, giving, us we're to just giving this away. Pay us to talk about our growing affection. Our life with June. Two weeks ago, I was like, get rid of this thing. Sell it. I don't need this. It's taking up all my counter space. But then I, I found new homes for the things that are on the counter. <laughs> so and yeah, I'm you would. feeling all right again. 
I'm into my new June Let's oven. Wait till we get that air fryer basket. It's going to be that, and I'm not so sure about the air fryer. Yeah, we'll see. Like what? Who, why would you fry something without delicious greasy oil? <laughs> well, for health and also for mess. <sighs> Think of all the things that we don't fry here because it would involve deep frying and like the the buckets of oil that would require. And, and then the what do you do with it? What do you do with all the exactly? Leftover? Yeah. yeah. Because nobody's driving those converted Mercedes diesels anymore. Remember that moment? <laughs> Everybody was, was using used French fry grease That's to like right. power who's their, that, their cars. Yeah, when was that? Who, who still does that? I haven't seen one in a long time. I think that was a, that was a moment, and that moment passed. Mm. So I'm here to, you know, I'm here to be a paid shell for the June Smart Oven, <laughs> if anyone wants me to do that. Yes. Yeah. Um. We got some. Is there any news? Any important breaking uh, cinema brr, news? There's not. There's not there. really. Sundance is happening and whatever. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We have uh, films. Yes, we do. To talk about. Um, we still, there are a variety of big mainstream films that we are not talking about yet because we can't. Uh, see them yet yes because they're only in theaters and we're just not doing that yet sorry scream we'll talk about you when you come you'll home. listen you'll get what you get when you get it yeah scream five scream Four? five technically Four? it's five but it's but they're just calling it scream that's too much to think about um instead uh we have the kind of episode that is my favorite where only one of the five films that we have to talk about is in English. <laughs> the rest of them. Furrin. Little, little art housey uh, situations. Yes. But a couple of them available to see uh, via streaming yes. platforms yes, right yes, now. Yes. So you're not like out in the cold. Only a couple of them are only in theaters. Correct. Shall we first... Shall we talk first about uh, the one that is least likely to to have the customers that it that it wants? Uh, would that be Stop Zemlia? No. Oh, that would be Lunana. Ah, a, a yak in the classroom. Okay. Now the name of this movie is Lunana: colon, A Yak in the Classroom. Which you know, I think. It, <laughs> If they really wanted to make it commercial, they would have just called it, there's a yak in the classroom. <laughs> no, because then it would be, people would look at it and think, oh, was this from the guy who made a talking cat? Well, yes, of course. And none of, none of that is, yeah. it's not anything related yeah. to this. Boy, did I get a wrong number. It is a film from Bhutan. Yes. It is the Bhutanese Oscar entry, and I, in fact, is a shortlisted Oscar entry, I think. Maybe. I think. Pavo Choinan Dorji, the name of the filmmaker. And it is, do you know where Bhutan is? I looked it up. Yeah. Small country, landlocked, uh, Himalaya yes. mountain area between India and China. Yes. So it's sort of this little tiny place nestled in there. It is not really about a yak, but the yak is there, and it's a real, actual, literal yak. Yes. In the classroom, and the yak is also a metaphor. Sure. Um, so there's a musician played by first-time actor uh, 
Shurhab Dorji. Uh, well, I mean, everybody in the movie is a first-time actor, I think with the exception of the woman who uh, he meets in the mountains who sings. Ah. Like, she's a popular singer, and I think she's acted before. Gotcha. And I don't have her name in front of me, I'm sorry. So uh, he is nearing the end of his five-year government service. He is a teacher, and... Um, he is itching to move to Australia. He wants to go to Australia and become a singer. Yeah. Instead, on for his final uh, leg of his government service, he is sent to the most remote village in Bhutan for about half a year. I think at one point he says it's the most remote school on earth, which may well be the case. Um, if this is not merely part of the film's marketing, if it is a fact, then this is what they are laying down as a truth about the, the, the little village in the film, which is a real village. The name of the village is Lunana. Yeah. And it is about three and a half miles up a mountain. Yeah. It, like it involves him taking a bus from the city to this one last outpost on the mountain and then traveling uphill for like three days on foot <laughs> and on, foot and, on donkeys. and on donkeys. Um, and it, as I said, it's a real place. Uh, it is being, you know, uh, described in this film and in this film's press notes as the most remote village and the most remote school in the world. Uh, they took their cameras up the mountain. Yeah. To shoot in this village. The people in the village are the actors in the movie. They really live in the village. They are playing versions of themselves. The, the mayor is the mayor. The girl in the class is the girl in the class. And her life experiences are the character's life experiences. Yes. Um, so yeah, the musician does not want to go there. He does not want to go to a place with... No cars. In fact, most of the people who live in the village have never seen a car. Yeah. They don't, he doesn't want to be there. There's no phone service. There's no electricity. There is rural farming and yak herding. Yeah. So he's a little resentful. Uh, but slowly, he comes to love the place and find his place there. Um, at one point, the yak is introduced into the classroom um, as, uh, and I can't remember now what the plot mechanism is for why they need to put the yak in the classroom. It's the class, old, it's sick, something, it needs a place to be sheltered. Yeah, the, cat, yeah. the yak needs to be indoors for some reason. As he, you know, comes to learn about the people and the, and the, and the, and the way that people live there, he begins to fall in love with a young uh, woman who sings. And every day she sings the song that is sung to the yaks. Yes, about which, the yaks. About the yaks. Um, the mayor of the town, he comes to explain, you know, the yak is a vital part of our community. We don't just, you know, herd them, tend them. Slaughter them? I don't know if that's the case. I, you get the impression they occasionally will eat a yak, but they all feel very sad about that. Yeah. That mostly the yaks are there to give them milk, to give them wool, to... Give them uh, dung, because that's them, how they make fires. There. They, yeah. Yes, they, they, yeah. everybody heats their house with dry yak dung. 
And so in a, in the same way that the yak is vital to the community, uh, so is the teacher. So is the teacher. In fact, everyone in the community treats the teacher as though they are the most important person uh, in the community, even though they are they tend to be visiting people who then leave. Right. Um, so it's a very familiar kind of story. Yeah. You know, you were describing it as like a northern exposure sort yeah, of situation. It, it, yeah, it's the, the sort of shallow urbanite, you know, gets forced to relocate to a rural community and sort of learns about the things that matter. Um, so that's happening here. And then I think also there's definitely a sense where this movie is kind of telling, you know, the Bhutanese at least, hey, you live in the happiest country on earth. It's beautiful here. These villages are amazing and and look at our wonderful people. You don't want to go to Australia. You want to right. stay here in right. Bhutan and serve the government perhaps and do your best to make this wonderful country even better. Yeah. Um I cannot speak to the experience of living in Bhutan or yeah. even in a mountain village in Bhutan. Um but what I like about this film is it is not pushy it has that message clearly yeah but it's not hammering you over the head no, with it. No. it isn't uh you know government propaganda at least that i can be aware at not, least oh, not over at least that i know of you know um it's very straightforward it's very gentle lightly comic film about finding your place wherever you are placed um and about how you are not just you you are part of a community whether that community is tiny or large you have a function in that place and without you the community suffers so this is a very like you said it's very well worn story but it's told in a very loving way. Yeah. And it's shot against this just, you know, breathtakingly beautiful settings. It lays out its case very simply and very purely. Uh, and it's in art house cinemas only at the moment. Uh, cinemas only at the moment. Art house cinemas because it's not in English. Yes. The filmmaking is incredibly straightforward and familiar. Accessible. There's not... There's there's nothing there's nothing to be uh, scrutinized here. There's nothing to be uh, uh, there's nothing ambiguous. Yeah. There's nothing that you might expect from a film playing in an art house where you have to do a little more work right. than the film does, and this film does a lot of the work for you. Uh, but I'll tell you something. If I have ever seen a film from Bhutan, and I don't know that I have. This was a lovely first, uh, a lovely first shot. Sure. No, yeah, it's very sweet. I don't know the state of Bhutanese cinema, honestly. Um, so, I'm taking I'm taking this one as representative right now, I guess. <laughs> but it's called Lunana, a yak in the classroom. Yes. It is currently playing in Los Angeles at one of the Lemleys. And perhaps at some art house theater near you, if you have an art house theater near you, and if not. Probably with about two to three months, there'll be a streaming option yeah. or a DVD. 
And if uh, it winds up getting an Oscar nomination in the international film category, maybe that will increase its chances. Of and getting. it may very well because it's the kind it, yes. of movie that goes down very easily. It's very feel good in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yes. So, Lunana, a yak in, in the, the classroom. It's a lovely yak, too. It is. Just, by the way, majestic. Uh, why don't you do uh, our message, our weekly message? Sure. From sponsor Amber Petty. Curious about freelance writing? Then come to Amber Petty's free workshop. Start writing now and get your first byline. That's the name of the workshop. This 60-minute Zoom workshop will show you what stories editors are looking for, how to come up with pitchable ideas, and you'll start writing during class. Leave the hour with a list full of ideas you're excited to write and start on your first or next article. Previous students came to this class and immediately sold ideas to Vox, Eater, and BuzzFeed. So you could make money from the class, though definitely not guaranteed, but at minimum, you'll be excited to keep writing and know how to get a byline you love. There are six dates to choose from between January 27th and February 4th. To find the best date and time for you, go to amberpetty.com slash linoleum, A-M-B-E-R-P-E-T-T-Y dot com slash linoleum. Sign up now. It's free. All right. Thank you, Amber Petty. Yes. We love we love advertising with you. <laughs> Moving on to uh, an art house film that is real art house ish, <laughs> in that it's unusual and eerie and occasionally ambiguous. It's called the Pink Cloud. Yes, this is also currently only, only in, in theaters. Yuli. Gervas? Gervasa, maybe? I'm not Gervasa. Sure. Brazilian film. Yes. This is her first feature, I yes. think. And her timing is either excellent or terrible, depending on how you think about it. You had the fun, You said the funniest thing when we were on KCRW last week. You were like, she lucked into this. And I was like, is luck the right word well, to, uh, to, to, to describe uh, the circumstances of this film? Uh, I, I will explain. Let's keep in mind, and in fact... Uh, a, a card at the beginning of the film informs yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Like, lest I, there this, be any confusion. This, this would never have been placed in front of the film had it not been for COVID. But The Pink Cloud was written in 2017. The Pink Cloud was shot in 2019. And here's what it's about. In Brazil. And everywhere. And everywhere else. A mysterious pink cloud settles to the ground. The air turns pink. And anyone who goes outside to breathe this air dies in 10 seconds. You breathe it, 10 seconds later, you drop to the ground. You are dead. The attention, attention, warning, 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 sirens and noises and announcements on radio and TV all go off. Emergency alerts on people's phones. Get inside, get in your house, close the windows, close the doors. Stay there. The pink cloud is here. Stay inside. Yeah. So, a a woman played by uh, Renata Delelis. And a man, played by Eduardo Mendonca. Is it Mendonca or Mendonca? Uh, Mendonca. Okay. 
just based on the filmmaker who shares his name. He says Mendonca. Um, they are uh, in the middle of a one-night stand. They've just met, and they're having sex in uh, the woman's mother's vacation home, I think. Mm. And they have to stay there. It is a one-night stand that becomes a relationship that lasts in perpetuity. It's interesting because at one point she refers to them as being like an Indian arranged marriage. Yes. And there was actually a movie last year called Seven Days. Yeah. Um, that was about uh, two young um, uh, Indian Americans who get set up on a date by their parents. Yeah. And COVID happens and they have to spend a week in uh, her apartment because of possible exposure. Got it. Karen Sony and Geraldine Viswanathan. Mm. Um, and it's a comedy, but it's right. it's a similar thing to this. But again, it's only seven days, whereas this is suddenly in perpetuity. So um, they, at first, they're having a good time. Yeah. It's like the beginning of the pandemic. Everybody thought it was just going to be like a church lock-in. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then they have a baby, and the baby is born, and grows up in the house, and never knowing up, a world without the pink cloud. Experiences his childhood entirely indoors. Doesn't know anything other than that life. Yeah. Doesn't know what it's like outside. It's room all of a sudden, and then the relationship between the man and the woman fractures. Fractures and. They divorce in quotes, and like he goes to live upstairs, she stays downstairs. And meanwhile, she's also having FaceTime conversations with other people, so you're getting points of view from other places. Yeah. She has a friend who's by herself and freaking out about being by herself. She has a much younger sister who yes. has become trapped at a birthday party that never ends. Yes. Um, and and terrible things begin happening there. Um when she is uh, separated from the, the 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 man who becomes the father of the mm -hmm. child, um, you know, she begins sort of online dating, uh, playing makeshift sort of horny strip hangman with a guy who lives in a building across the way, where they like take off articles of clothing in their windows. Like he starts having like an online relationship and then when things start getting really hot and heavy she disconnects the Wi-Fi. Yeah, they're not having a good time. Yeah. Um, and what's strange about this movie is that the mystery of the pink cloud remains mysterious. Yeah. So when COVID started we all, you know, clamored for information and it started, you know, coming in bits and pieces. And in this film, the pink cloud is never fully explained. All that's explained is that it's here. Science can't figure out what to do about it. We can get you food through a tube that comes through your window, very much like the movie Brazil. Yeah, there's a duct all of a sudden. Um, and the things that happen to other people remain outside of the the knowledge of the, the main characters. Right. So what's really going on at this birthday party that never ends? 
You know, you hear about people who were trapped in a bakery at the beginning of the movie. Well, what happened to them? You wonder about a video that you see from a supermarket where you realize that there are people who have been trapped in a supermarket for years. For years. Um, and what begins to happen among the two, the man and the woman, is he becomes very at peace with the situation. He... He had been like a chiropractor masseur. Yeah. And of course now is in a position where he can't touch anyone but her. Yeah. And, you know, he's, he meditates. He, you know, uh, he does everything he can do to center himself and make peace with this bizarre situation that he's in. She does not share his ability to do this. At one point, um, he does say to her, why do you suffer for things you can't change? And that, if there's a moral to this film, that might be it. Mm. Because I won't give away the ending, but it ain't like things get a whole lot better. Right. Um, and the, the, the frustration that mounts in her only succeeds in making things worse for her. Yeah. Uh, Does this sound like the last movie you want to watch as we head into year three of the pandemic? It might be. It might be. <laughs> Maybe spare yourself if this just seems like it's going to be one long triggering event. What I like about this movie, though, um, is the eeriness yes. of it. The 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 ambiguity and the mystery it's and the opposite of that terrible michael bay movie about the pandemic whatever that was which called which one was that jaybird or something i don't even remember it had some innocuous title but it was did it go to streaming somewhere uh yes and it was it came out like in 2020 like it happened pretty fast Okay. And it was set like a few years in the future where we were like covid 23 or something and okay it was not good i don't i don't think i you didn't even have, remember it happening. I had to review it. Okay. Um, but yeah, this is the opposite of that in terms of its very like cool demeanor. Tonally, it's very still. Yeah. It's very quiet. There is no apocalyptic uh, scenario going on. Yeah. Other than the one that is just outside your door. Right. It's not like Soylent Green where there's you know <laughs> bulldozers <laughs> scooping up people to get them out of the way. Yeah, because no one can leave. Yeah. Well, there are homes. Um, I, uh, uh, the unanswered questions are what make this interesting to me. Yeah. And, you know, the color palette, because of it being so pink, is yes. weirdly soothing. And, it is. <laughs> and, and it shouldn't be. Yeah. But I, I think this is a, an, an interesting film. I think this is a film worth seeing. Uh, if you can divorce yourself uh from any sort of you know ptsd that you're experiencing because of the past couple of years uh then you know it'll it's worth your time no i agree <laughs> i mean no it's you're right it is but at the same time i anybody who said i can't watch that right now be like then i get it don't it's yeah. fine all right let's move on yes to a hero Yes. 
the latest from Asghar Farhadi. Uh, and if you've seen his other films, you know that uh, he's the master of suspense, like, right now. <laughs> like, think about it. Yeah. Who in the past few years has consistently made films that knot your stomach up with worry about what's going to happen to the people so consistently and so well and so based in small, quotidian, daily decisions and tasks and resentments and families, family connections. Like, he knows how to do this. Oscar Farhadi makes you the frog in the boiling water. Because <laughs> you start out, you're like, okay, this is fine. Like when I get getting a little warm in here. When I, when I found hey. out the name of this movie, I, don't, I didn't even know what this film was about before I sat down to watch it, and I thought, "Oh, someone's not a hero." <laughs> no, you're not. If you're going to call your movie a hero, Oscar Farhadi, I listen. I know what you're doing. I know what I've. You've done this to me before, <laughs> and I know. You made a movie called Everybody Knows, and it turned out nobody knew. <laughs> So, there's a man named Rahim, uh, played by Amir Jadidi. He's in prison. In debtor's prison, He's which is debtor's... still a thing in Iran, apparently. Oh, it's a thing in the United States, too. Well, uh, yeah. Um, because all you have to be in the United States is poor. That's true. And have any sort of trouble with the law. Yeah. And essentially, you are in debtor's prison because you can't afford your cash bail. And the courts are backed up, and they don't, they might get to your case for a year or two. And if you don't have mail money, you're just in jail. You're in true. jail before you've even been tried for anything, right. and you could stay there a really long time. No, you're so right. we do you're have right. debtors' prison. Okay. But in Iran, apparently, you go to prison for not being for able literal to, for not being able to pay your debts yeah. uh, externally. You know, like Little Dorrit. Um, he's on a two day furlough. In that time, he hopes to negotiate uh, a deal with his creditor to get his time in prison cut short. Now, his creditor used to be married to his sister-in-law? There's some family There's a family connection. There. I forget what it is. And there's no love lost between no, these two. No, no, no. Uh, meanwhile, Rahim's girlfriend, and here's where the trouble begins. She has found a lost purse. And inside the lost purse are 17 gold coins. They want to sell the coins to pay the debt. And they go to the gold place, the gold selling, the gold buying place. And it's not going to be exactly enough to pay the debt. And they don't know what they're supposed to do. And Raheem gets the idea, well, what if we found the owner? So they do. They put out an ad. Hey, did you find a purse? It's got some stuff in it. You know, you would think this was an act of virtue, an act of goodness, but it just leads to chaos. Yeah. And I'm not going to tell you anything that happens after the fact of them finding the person who claims the purse. Because... What happens is that everything spins out of control. Yes. And people begin sort of tinkering with not just the story, but with his outcome and with their own 
needs agenda for that what are, they can do with his story that are related to the story. Um, I, I I jokingly said that this movie is a drama, but you could rewrite it to be a season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Kind of. Because it is just this thing where like these minor incidents then suddenly take on their this life of their own, and the bigger they get, the more people they hurt and drag into this maw of like, oh no, oh no. Yeah, um, there's nothing comedic about this, but, no. but what you do experience, as you as you just said, um, you you sit there watching it and you find yourself sort of internally shouting, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. <laughs> and then they do that. And um, it goes as badly, if not worse, than you pictured that it would have. Yeah, so uh, uh, last week on the radio, I, I called it a moral thriller. Yes. Which is, I'd say that's pretty accurate. No, absolutely. Um, you are forced constantly to rethink your concept of characters. Mm-hmm. Like ones that you think might be noble could indeed just be self-serving. And ones that you think are cruel maybe have a point. You know? Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, you know, it's very tense. It's very densely plotted. Yes. There's a lot of character. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, there are a lot of characters. And uh, they've each got their own need and you in, have to, involved related to this incident yeah and you have to be paying attention because like very minor incidents can come up as a big thing later or no you know things that are supposed to be kept secret and then aren't are you know like key segments of the plot yeah so it's it's a film about motivation like examining it examines the motives of people who do the right thing what is behind your outward-facing act of altruism, of altruism or virtue. How public do you want it to become? Uh, what happens when you begin embellishing the story? Yeah. What happens when you allow others to step in and embellish your story for their own purposes? If you do make it public, are you ready for any blowback that might occur? Right. Or for someone to go, hey, I know a thing yeah. about this or about you mm-hmm. or about a thing that you did in the past or about a, a statement that you made the day before you did this good mm-hmm. thing that makes me think that you aren't really here to do a good thing at all. Um it's also uh, not as nearly mysterious as the Pink Cloud, but it is full of unspoken character agendas. Mm. You know, the, every character here, even the supporting ones, have their own reasons for doing what they do. Um, they all come with some sort of story that is never explicitly stated. And quite a few of them stand to benefit or actually suffer because of Raheem's action. Yeah. Um, now, I don't know enough about contemporary Iran other than what I've seen in films from, you know, the most famous Iranian, you know, filmmakers. Um, but what it would seem to be other than a sort of, you know, a religiously dominated uh, culture um, is... One in which, and someone can correct me if I'm not right here, but it seems to be a a culture in which, you know, reputation and familial rep- reputation honor and is is important. Yeah, um, and guides people's decisions about what they're going to do in their life. 
because characters do talk about this from time to time in the film. How could you do this to the family? Whatever, whoever they're talking to, whatever they're saying. Right. Um, so the fact that, you know, one person's actions can reverberate and cause an entire group of people to win or to lose because of that, you know, mis- connection. mistake mm-hmm. or, and because of their connection to it, that's part of it. But it remind it made me think about how because social media plays a part in the in the narrative. Yes, that the idea of a ruined reputation on social media is something that is now a part of every culture that has the oh, internet. Yeah. As as if Iwatoe says, "Are you the star of Twitter today? Yeah. Are you the lead character of Twitter today?" You don't want to be the lead character of no. Twitter today, but relax because someone else will be the lead character of Twitter right. tomorrow. So this is a very, very dark uh, personal story uh, where, you know, the center has a bunch of other centers. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's kind Every of a trap door has another trap door. Yeah, it's it. kind of up for grabs uh, in terms of who or what is being interrogated. Right. Um, it, 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 as with all of his films, it holds up this mirror to human behavior. Yeah. And it's never good. <laughs> <laughs> Not a mirror you want to look into. Um, um, <laughs> but this is, it's exciting and it's tense. Yes. And you want to, you want to stay with it even when you start to feel like, <laughs> like just to see how it's going to turn out, that sinking feeling in your gut, you need to you need to stay and find out how it's going to turn out. Yeah. Um, also, uh, Oscar shortlisted this year and and considered already to be a favorite, apparently. Well, yeah, because it's really good. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's really good. Yeah, Dave, remember the Academy Awards? Those two things don't necessarily have anything to do with each other. Oh, I forgot. I you know what? I knew that you naive little lad. I knew that already. <laughs> I just forgot that I knew it. <laughs> um, let us discuss Stop Zemlio. Yes. From Katerina Gornostai. Gornostai. She's Ukrainian. Yes. And this is a Ukrainian her, so uh, her film. Her first narrative film. She yeah. comes from the world of documentary. And it is a teen movie where she apparently worked with the actors for quite a while to sort of help them create their characters. So... The, these these are mostly newcomers and they're kind of playing versions of themselves but not necessarily themselves. Question um, that I have before you start talking about what it's about. Within the narrative of this film, there are uh, cutaways to the cast being interviewed. being interviewed. Now, they are never they never talk about this. In the narrative, the kids are never talking about how, oh, you know, that lady who's interviewing us. <laughs> right. So are we meant to understand that this is uh, Katarina Gornerstein's filmed interviews with the cast that is now being, like, cut into the narrative? Or is she talking to the characters? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Because the, the, the questions are very... Uh, non-specific with yeah. with relate with relation to the character. The only thing I think that that would that would point to them being interviews with the actors is that some of them look quite different 
Yeah. In the interviews than they do in the rest of the movie. Yeah. So they're not, in that sense, they're not necessarily remaining in character, but it could be a thing that she's talking to them later. You know, I, yeah. don't, I don't know. It's it, never explained. It's never explained. In it any doesn't case. really matter. Yeah. I mean, it works either way. Um, so the, the, the film centers on three close friends, a girl named Masha, her best friend, Senia, uh, or sorry, Yana, and this guy, Senia, who hangs out with them. And because he is always hanging out with two girls, like, you know, there is speculation going on about his sexuality, about everybody's sexuality, because it's, they're teenagers and they're, this is a coming of age movie. They're sort of grappling with notions of identity and love and sex. And the title refers to like a playground game of the sort of blind man's bluff variety childhood game yeah and yep. so so it definitely sort of underscores this notion of like these kids are on the cusp they're they have one foot in childhood and one foot in adulthood and are just sort of trying to make their way through and um it's not uh particularly plot heavy it's really more you know get to know these characters over this circumscribed you know chunk of time i think it's kind of their senior year in high school basically yeah is the feel you get for yeah. it and just sort of this feeling of being on the verge and trying to figure out who you are and who you'll be and what you want out of life and um it's very sweet and it's very engaging and unlike um euphoria it did not give me a panic attack <laughs> <laughs> They drink wine in this movie. They don't like, you know, crush Adderall or whatever. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, you, <laughs> Madeline brought up the idea of euphoria mm -hmm. when we were watching it, when we were discussing it on the on her show, and um, you know, uh, watching uh, a series like Euphoria. Um, or even watching The Lost Daughter, which we will be talking about in just a few moments. Mm -hmm. You and I have never uh, had children. You. And um, it, it sometimes feels like a very wise decision. <laughs> um, because the, 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 if you watch a show like Euphoria, there is this ongoing just panic and fear about if you are the parents of any of these kids in this show, yeah, they could wind up like dead somewhere, and 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 you seemingly would have no control over that. Um, this is not that kind of no. teen uh, narrative. Um, it is, as you said, a film in which really nothing happens. Um, but when nothing happens in a movie, it's because the story is being told to you via other means, yeah. you know. Uh, there are crushes. There's yeah. a school dance. Meandering There's... plots like this, like licorice pizza even. Very much so. Yeah. Um, meandering, meandering plots where uh, people are just doing stuff. And I'd even say licorice pizza is episodic in its meandering ways. Mm -hmm. This isn't even episodic. This is just we're hanging out. Yeah, we're hanging out with these kids. Um, it takes the intensely personal and fully normal self-absorption yes. that marks adolescence and gives it the room it always wants without 
you know, sensational incident yeah. taking place. Um, so like the, the, the roller coaster or something like euphoria is sort of like a, a, a smooth, gentle uh, ride here. Um, and I, I like that because the daily life of most people is not fraught with intense drama. I sure. mean, there can be, but yeah. it doesn't happen like boom, 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 boom every single day. It, you would become exhausted. Uh, but films about the lack of that intense drama are hard to pull off. Did you have to be able to say, well, here's the story. Just look elsewhere. Yeah, you have, to, you have to have something to hang your hat on. So I think the fact that she's a documentary filmmaker really helps here because it has that sense of immediacy. Mm. And the, the framing, the way people are just exist in the space. Uh, like you, I said, it cuts to them being interviewed yeah. uh, in, a, in a documentary way. You get to know other kids in the class. You get to know some of their parents and mm -hmm. how they do or don't interact directly with their kids and what those interactions are like and how those sort of color the way we view these characters and what it's turning them into. Uh -huh. um, yeah, it, there is almost something sort of anthropological going on here where it's just more interested in the day-to-day -day existence than like, and then this happened. It takes teenagers seriously. It doesn't condescend yes. to them. Um, it takes their concerns Seriously, um, you know, it doesn't explain why anyone wants to put glitter on their face. I'll never understand that <laughs> myself. Um, but the, uh, I'd say the only thing that keeps this from feeling like it might really be a documentary is that it, every kid in the cast looks like they were recruited from a modeling agency. Yes. Um, there is a lot of, um, uh, uh, uh Runway ready, magazine <laughs> spread, faces happening here. Um, but it is a, a wonderful little snapshot of people on the cusp of adulthood. Yeah. And where they might want to go and why that's valuable to to, to, to look at. Yeah. Anyway, that that's screening uh, in one theater in Los Angeles, but it is available on demand. You can rent it and... Unlike, you know, iTunes and all the places. Yeah. And A Hero, the same. A Hero is streaming on Amazon Prime. Yeah. And in some theaters as well. Yeah. Uh, so, The Lost Daughter. Which is on Netflix. Yeah. This is the debut feature from Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yes. She has uh, uh, branched out. Writing and directing, adapting the novel by Elena Ferrante. Okay, so Olivia Coleman plays a... A professor who is on holiday yes. in uh, Greece. in Greece. She thinks she's going to get away and have some peace and quiet and do some work, but no. Here comes a loud, obnoxious Greek American family, and there are like forty people in this family. Acting like they own the place. Go on. Say it. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> this is like any vacation spot when the Duraldis show up. I I wouldn't say... Okay, here's the difference between y'all and the, These folks. the family in this, in this film. Y'all are loud. 
and obnoxious, but you're not vaguely menacing. <laughs> I like to think so. I think we're sweet. This 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 family that shows up is vaguely menacing yeah. and occasionally actually menacing. Are they from Long Island? Confrontational. They're from Queens. Queens. Yeah. Yes. And um, among them is Dakota Johnson yes. as a young mother with a toddler uh, daughter. And Olivia Coleman starts watching the young mother. Starts watching Dakota Johnson. Dakota Johnson, by the way, who I didn't recognize for the first three scenes that she wow. was in. Because I'll tell you something. All you need is change your facial expressions, change your hair, change your makeup. Big sunglasses. Big sunglasses, and and you go face blind. And you go, yeah, no, it's not face blind, but she is someone else, yeah. right, in this film. Um, <laughs> the the uh, one day the the little toddler goes missing. And she is found by Olivia Coleman. Yeah. But in the process of finding the little toddler, the little toddler's doll is lost. And this becomes its own inciting incident. Yeah. The child is incons- inconsolable? Inconsolable. Yeah. yeah. Um, you cannot console her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say inconsolable, but that just seemed ridiculous. <laughs> Meanwhile, we are... Learning little by little by little by little by little what Olivia Coleman's character is about. Yeah. Why she uh, is separated from her own adult daughters. And we learn these things through flashback. Yes. To a young uh, version of the character played by Jesse Buckley, who is a... Uh, 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 Promising grad student. Thank you. Yes, I'm, I just blanked. Well, what, 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 what is that? What is that thing you do? You're, you're in college, but it's after. And yeah, okay, graduate school. Um, Married to one of those guys who's like, oh, we'll we'll co-parent. We'll share the responsibilities. <laughs> but obviously, when the kids start yelling, it's like your daughter's making noise. I yeah. gotta work. Uh, and here's the thing: the kids are always yelling. Yes, the kids are always yelling. The kids are always hanging all over her. The kids are always hitting her. They're like five. Yeah. Very much like the way that Dakota Johnson's kid is just unglued. Yes. Um, it would be wrong to give away more than that. Suffice to say that Olivia Coleman sees a kindred spirit in Dakota Johnson, whether Dakota Johnson appreciates that fact or not. Yes. We also realize that Olivia Coleman has done some things she's not proud of mm. as a mom, yes, as a parent, and as a wife. And she is uh, at the same time unapologetic about the things that she's not proud of. Right. When she explains what she's done, she just says, oh, I did that. And it felt great. Yeah. And and I won't be apologizing for it. So the the idea that you can regret something that you have done while at the same time 
uh, acknowledging it as the right choice. The right choice that you decided to make at that time. Um, That is a specific kind of tension that films don't usually explore. Um, There is also the idea, and this is, I think, the most daring thing about the film. And it's one that I don't know that I've seen explored very often. The idea that being a parent, specifically being a mother, Mm -hmm. just takes the life out of you. Yeah. And, or rather, it can. And it has for these two characters. Yeah, we, these two these two women, Dakota Johnson and Olivia Coleman, that we see, and, and obviously also Jesse Buckley, as it's it's happening to her in flashback. Right. We we when we talked about this on Max Film, we had the host of the Max Fun Show, One Bad Mother, on. Uh huh. And she talked. Oh, that's about, a that's that's a good. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. And she talked about how motherhood is sold to people as you're going to love it. It's going to be so fulfilling. You're going to be great at it yeah. and all this stuff. And that for so many women, that's just not how it plays out. Right. And, and this movie, I think really brings up those issues and is like, yeah, it's maybe not for everybody. And maybe it won't make you happy. It won't make you fulfilled. It will just be draining and exhausting. And, and you know, you will crack under the pressure of it all. I gotta say, Watching this helped me a little bit more understand the complicated decisions that my own mother made ah, in her life. Interesting. Um, because loved my mom, may she rest in peace, but she had some troubles. And we've talked about this so many times. It would be boring to bring it all back up again. Um, but, you know, when I see films like this, I, I often wonder, like, do the filmmakers understand what it is they're selling me here? Right. And I haven't read this book. Nor have I. Uh, and I'd like to know, you know, where it, where it comes from. But I do, after watching it, I think, oh, so becoming a mother didn't turn you into a saint. <laughs> Magically. It just made life more difficult. Yeah. Um, and how did you respond to that difficulty? Olivia Coleman's performance here is, I think, extraordinary, and it's always the way that I see her now. I, I see her now as not the weird comedy person that showed up on Look uh, around. Look you. around you. Uh, yeah. uh, it was an old, you know, English. It was uh, a BBC strange uh, parody show. of like science shows. Yeah, uh, I don't think of her as the weird comedy person anymore. Although I should, because you know, as far as 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 most as as recently as Fleabag and and the favorite, yeah. she was being comedic. But she's so ready to be like the great dramatic actress now. Yeah. Uh, she has, she's following the Emma Thompson template, basically. <laughs> Except that she doesn't write, I think. But, you know. Um, yeah, Emma Thompson started in comedy. Yeah. And who, who remembers that? Except well, old people like but, us. But, you know, she'll still dip into a Nanny McPhee every so often. I understand. But, <laughs> but you yeah, know nobody, I mean. nobody remembers her, her. She had a show called Emma. You know? <laughs> 
I um really like the performances here. Yes. Coleman, Dakota Johnson, and Jesse Buckley. Uh Dagmara Dominchik. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't as, know who she is. As, oh, you know who she is. She Do was, I know who she, she is? She was in Higher Ground. Was she, she? She's the friend who. Uh, she's the friend of the of the the Vera Farmiga character, who winds up like uh, getting you know, like they, they 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 put her on a lot of meds or something because she's genuinely spiritual. But as a woman in that religious community, they don't want no her place. to be exactly right. She's. I think she's married to. The little children watchman, uh, Patrick. Uh, Patrick Wilson. Wilson, yes. Oh, I didn't know. See, I honestly, until this film. Uh, oh, I'm a fan. I don't <laughs> think I knew enough about her to know. Yeah. Oh, she, she's on Succession. Oh, there you go. The show we haven't well, watched watch yet. It. Yeah, she is the most threatening of the threatening queens. She really people. is. <laughs> she really is. Like you think it's the guys that are going to cause the trouble, but you see her. her <laughs> you're like, are you going to? You gonna stab me? <laughs> like, um, I'm really curious to see what Gyllenhaal's subsequent films are like, what, particularly whether or not they're adaptations, because as she is, she very much knows what she's doing here, and I mean, and not, and and you know, you you take it for granted that you know, directorial debut from an actor, the performances are gonna be really good, and they are, but knows how to tell a story is doing all the things right. But I have to say there were parts of this where I, and I, and again, I haven't read the book either where I thought this is how you would impart this information to me in a novel and not necessarily in a screenplay. Like the way that, that, you know, symbols are used the way that underlying, you know, ideas are brought forth felt very novelly to me. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it just, it just, it's, it's something that I noticed and I don't usually notice that in an adaptation where I think this feels like the book has just been slapped up on the screen. I see what you mean. Mm -hmm. And that is why I can't fully say that I think this is a good film. Oh, thank you. Um, I well, like I mean, a, I feel like such a weirdo having, no qualms with this movie because it's so beloved in so, so many corners hold on okay okay i didn't say it was bad no i'm not saying that either <laughs> i'm saying that there is stuff about it and and i'm unfortunately you 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 referenced it as well as you could without giving away plot details um but you're 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 touching on the idea of symbolism in the film yes um that baby doll is a very like loud honking clanking symbol and it's I literally trotted around. <laughs> yes. Uh and it and it was like it was the rock in my shoe. Uh because everything about Coleman's character feels pretty self possessed. Yeah. You know, she might not have she might regret some of the things she's done in her life, but she did them. Yes. And uh, she even says at one point that when, when she's discussing something with Dakota Johnson, a, a plot point that I'm not revealing here, uh, Dakota Johnson says, well, how could you have done that? And Olivia Coleman says, well, I did it because I felt bad and then I felt great. And then I went and changed something about what I had done. And I did that all because of a, it's it's all entirely self-serving. I am a selfish person. That's the line. 
I'm a very selfish person, she says. Um, and we don't allow that uh, very often yeah. with mother characters of course, in no. films. They have to be monsters who get punished somehow if they are bad, selfish moms. Or they have to sacrifice everything for yes. the good of you know, the yes. children. So, unfortunately, to communicate that... Um, we're given a, a, a heavy-handed symbol yeah. that I found increasingly annoying, <laughs> as and 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 occasionally laughable as the film went on. And I, you know, you are not meant to laugh. New no. uh, in this movie, it's a so bit of a sandwich board. I yeah, and so I um, I'm not going to say this is a bad film. I'm going to say this is a film with valuable stuff in it and good performances that you should see but there were parts of it that just clearly did not function well i didn't receive them well and i and i think that you know there's a kind of art house heaviness and stone-faced you know ness that isn't served well here i would i would put those features under the category of first time filmmaker okay and so right. I'm, I'm very curious to see if if an increasing confidence as a, a storyteller maybe allows her to sort of eschew some of those choices. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I absolutely <laughs> think people should see this film, and I do want to see what Hall does next. Do you follow Amy Tobin on Twitter? I, maybe. All right. If I don't, I'm going to start right now. Important legendary film, legendary, absolutely. film criticism uh, person, Amy Tobin. Uh, and I, 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 I read this tweet and I said, oh. <laughs> but I haven't read anything else that she has written about this film. But she went out on a, on a, on a, on a limb. I don't even think she felt like it was a limb. She just said it was a stupid movie. <laughs> and I thought, oh my, okay, <laughs> well. I'd like to hear more from you about this, <laughs> Amy Tobin. Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. Uh, I did not think it was stupid, no. but I, I, there, I wasn't a hundred percent on board uh, with how it was delivered to me. Anyway, um, that's it. We've end of cinema. <laughs> Sorry, uh, end of us talking about cinema for the week. Except for letters, jail. We got some letters. And we have a five-star review. Got a five-star review. Oh, dang. I need my glasses. I'll read the five-star review while you're dithering about. <laughs> That's my glasses. Grandpa, <laughs> with the things you should have handy. I know. Well, it's for the program. There's a reason. Mm, yeah, there's always a reason. All right. Uh, the, I love the headline. I stopped by to say, I need cake talk. Who doesn't? Gosh, needs that. gosh, do I enjoy this film podcast. Great host with so much insight into the film world. I learned quite a bit and I'm often reminded that I should listen to Blue Monday again. Smile emoticon. Uh, but more importantly, I, I get to hear two wonderful husbands who happen to be critics discuss the intricacies of a cake Dave has made and how excited he was to serve it to a solo guest allowed on their porch behind the door glass. And occasionally I'll hear about Alonzo's meatloaf. Uh... Uh, what a treat. Thanks for not sending it all to Knife and Fork, you two. Lots of love, Brian. Uh, so thank you, Brian, a.k.a. B-Dub 10Z. 
Um, thank you for the five-star review. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and we will read that on the air. Speaking of cake. Yes. The reason my glasses were on the other side of the table was because we had to take a little break so that you could accomplish another task. And now yes. we're back uh, from our little break. And in the process of taking that little break, uh, some food got delivered to the apartment. Not takeout, but yeah. like for the past two years now, I've ordered all of our food yes. for delivery via the internet. If you were a Linoleum Knife and Fork listener, you would know the whole saga <laughs> of Zingerman's. <laughs> uh, what appears to be a beautifully delicious fig and almond cake has Ooh. shown up at our front door. Someone... Someone else made it. We didn't make it. Oh, I cannot wait to eat it. <laughs> now, do I wait until I can get some manchego? <laughs> ah, melt it on top like an apple pie? No. No. Just to eat Alongside. concurrently okay. with it. I don't know. Do I wait until I get it? You should know this is a thing from Spain, and so is manchego <sighs> cheese. I fig Why am cakes, I the one teaching you stuff? Fig cake is not my corner of expertise. Here. Well, sorry. you're a disappointment but to your countrymen. I will look forward to trying this. Um, so, um, anyway, that's what, listen, there's going to get, I'm going to eat a little piece of this fig and almond cake when we're done here. Okay. That's what I'm trying to communicate. And if you want to hear how that turned out, <laughs> maybe subscribe to Linoleum Knife and Fork on our Patreon page. Maybe. You know. other great shows. Yeah, Patreon.com slash Linoleum Knife. Let's just do the ad. Let's maybe go. you'll enjoy it. Yeah. You might. Or our TV show. Or... Uh, or rather, our show about TV, <laughs> I should say. Okay, TV is the podcast about television. Uh, linoleum, linoleum Knife and Fork is the podcast about food. Linoleum Nights is the podcast about whatever, whatever. we feel like talking about. <laughs> linoleum Knife presents more Linoleum Knife is an episode where we take a deep dive into one single film. Yeah. Uh, and this week, we're going to drop two of those. Yeah. We're going to do uh, Love and Basketball. Mm -hmm. And we're going to do uh, The Rules of the Game. Yes. Super exciting. You said you sent me letters, did you? I did. Well, where are they? Here they are. Here they are. Shoddy. Hello, Shoddy. She says, my husband and my sister took our kids to the new Spider-Man twice over the weekend. And now they'll probably go twice more before the holidays are over. This was written to us on January 3rd. I'm personally opting to stay home because after 11 movies in 20 years... It seems like whether you multiply it, mend it, bend it, break it, shake it, shuck it, roast it, or toast it, the Spider-Verse dictates that the girl has to stay the girl and has to be rescued to make the geeky boy look good, even if the girl in this scenario is one of the most powerful and charismatic performers of her generation. <laughs> She's talking about Zendaya and is lucky to get 20% of the screen time. And not even, And I'm not even getting into the wasted... Rachel McAdams, Emma Stone, or Marissa Tomei of it all. John Lennon was right. I, um, okay, I think people should just watch Celine Sciamma's new film, Petite Maman, and Maggie Gyllenhaal's Lost Daughter instead. Petite Maman comes out in theaters February 4th. We'll be talking about it soon. Um, yeah, we will. I haven't watched it yet. You've seen it. I have. Yeah. It's in my top ten for last year. And yes, Shadi, I support you in the in the Lost Daughter uh, thing here because 90% on my page is still 90% worth looking at. Sure. Yeah. 
Uh, next letter. John says, uh, just before Christmas, I watched a film called Silent Night. I had not seen much about it beyond the brief blurb on my local cinema's website. It was described as a festive, dark comedy. In my mind, I was expecting Death at a Funeral with Tinsel. That is not what I got. The story seems to be one of the darkest Christmas films I've ever seen. Given your encyclopedic knowledge of Christmas cinema, Alonzo, can you think of any festive tale with a premise this bleak? While you're at it, I could not escape feeling that this film should have been called Last Christmas, but that name was used for the mediocre Emilia Clark film from a few <laughs> years back. Any thoughts? Uh, yeah, this is definitely, I'd say, one of the most apocalyptic Christmas movies uh, Which one is I've this? ever seen. Uh, uh, Silent Night, the one with Keira Knightley. It premiered at, I reviewed it out of TIFF last year. Is this the one year. about the end of the world? Yes. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Which is a cool idea, but I think they kind of bobble the execution. And in fact, I, I would love to talk to the writer-director about this because it seems, in a, you know, without stretching, you could turn this movie into being like anti-vax and I don't think that's what they meant to do but I think it could be read that way with what's on the page interesting and that's a problem uh so yeah I I I, I admire the idea more than the uh the results but there's some good stuff in that movie uh Jennifer uh is responding to what I believe was the critic uh, uh yes. roundup yes 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 where we were talking about Asking people to wear masks in asking public people to places. Wear, yeah, asking people to wear masks specifically at press screenings. Correct. Where uh, I've heard some stories where it just did not go well. Yes. Um, which drives me insane. Yeah. Because it's a press screening. Yeah. You're supposed to behave yourself. Work. Yeah. She says, I work at a museum and I have on occasion had to ask someone to put their mask on. It has never gone well. And I frequently have nightmares about it. I can't blame anyone for not wanting to risk it. It can get really volatile really fast. Yikes. Did you see that uh, that idiot that went to the library and demanded to be allowed to come in with his little daughter? And um, and the like. very old librarian lady was like, no. No. <laughs> no. I, I have not seen that. No. And he's just increasingly volatile. And, and even... Uh, uh, his tone suggests like he's on the verge of having an emotional moment. Yeah. And and one of the things he keeps saying in the video is, we just want to come in and sign up to use the library, which means, A, you don't, you don't go, even have a library card. You don't you, go you, to the library. You don't even go here. You 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 are not innocently walking in to, to get a library card. You're walking in there to cause a ruckus mm -hmm. and take your camera out uh -huh. and have it captured. Like, all. how was it that you had your camera already on, uh -huh. ready to go when you were asking this question? So, um, yeah, screw that guy. And everyone else who misbehaves uh, out there in in the world without your mask on. There's a whole big LA Times. Put time, it on. There's a whole big LA Times piece that I've not shared with Fed you Fed up yet. with all you people. I'll show you when we get done. That's sort of trying to make the case for like, it's okay to go to the movies, we think. But I, Well, yeah, you got an N. Do you have an N95? Yeah, then it's okay to go to the movies. It, it, it did not completely convince me. <laughs> Need that N95. I oh, mean, yeah. They cost money. Yeah. They're expensive. Which, 
frankly, to me, just means that the United States government needs to send them out yes. to everyone. I seem to recall a certain presidential campaign promise about, like, applying, you know, the military to, you know, production and distribution of things like that and not happening. That's anyway, correct. Anyway, uh, are we done? Got all the letters? Am I done? Are we done? Is it done? Is it safe? May we start to be done? Oh, may we stop? <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, Please check out my other podcasts, Breakfast All Day, Maximum Film, Deck the Hallmark, um, where Bran and I are uh, taking turns picking the movies for the 25 weeks of Christmas. I'm showing him legitimate great classics, and he is torturing me with terrible 90s movies so far, but I have hope. I really like this paradigm. (laughs) I like the the frazzled uh, (laughs) nature of... Of you, like every other week, you are forced to watch some piece of trash it, that Brand grew up with. It is an interesting exercise as a critic to just go from thinking like, "Oh yeah, I did not like Jingle All the Way" or "Christmas with the Cranks," to actually having to lay out here's why I don't like right. "Christmas with the Cranks" right. and "Jingle All the Way." So you know, there's that anyway. Uh, so yes. If you wondered how Alonzo Duralde could extend Christmas into the spring months, <laughs> this is the way he's I doing it. I have managed. Yeah. So please check that out. Um, again, uh, leave us a five five star review on Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe to the show for free, and we will read it on the show. You can also leave positive feedback, stars, thumbs up, whatever the heck, on so many places that we stream, including uh, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon Music, um, Castbox, Podbean, Stitcher, uh, TheLounge.com. Um, you can follow us at Linoleum Cast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can drop us a line at linoleumpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you to the talented Blue for our wonderful theme music. You can pick up his new album, Six Tape, at blueBLEU.bandcamp.com. Also, friend of the show, Nathan Rabin, has a new book out called The Joy of Trash. It's very funny. We were lucky enough to uh, help inspire some of the chapters by. Did we? Well, he did not know about Mr. Delicious until we talked about it. Oh, was that? Did we make that happen? Yes. And he did not. I feel pretty proud of us now. And he had never seen Get High on Yourself until I pointed that out to him. So, you know, we we hailed. Anyway, it's a fun book. You should should definitely pick it up. It's on sale uh, wherever books are sold. And, um, yeah, we'll be back next time with more. Until then. Goodbye.